Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Movie Brats Podcast. I am Carter and joining me, as always, is Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing well. And uh, some interesting stuff happening in the movie world recently. Probably the biggest news of all is Robert Pattinson's casting in Matt Reeves' upcoming Batman movie, which is scheduled for release in 2021. As noted fans of Robert Pattinson and his choices as an actor, uh, do you want to see him bogged down in a superhero movie for the next couple years, or do you think that this is a good place to take his career going forward? Well, I tell people if they go, oh, Robert Pattinson's a bad actor, they haven't seen any of his movies but Twilight. He's worked with an incredible lineup of directors, and it, people should go see his two films with David Cronenberg, Cosmopolis, and Maps of the Stars, Good Time, The Lost City of Z, High Life. Mm-hmm. He's worked with not just cool directors, but like really odd, mm-hmm. you know, outside-the-box directors. And the way I look at it is he'll do Batman, and he'll get to do three you know, Joanna Hogg films mm. or, you know, he'll get to do a film. And with, his presence uh, in those movies will lead to more eyeballs and a bigger budget, which is, uh, I think it's good for the movie world in general. Right. I, yeah, I, the way I look at it, you know, the problem I have with someone like Robert De Niro is that he almost consistently in the last 15 years has, has only done embarrassing films. <laughs> and like, you know, it's good that he does something like silver linings playbook or getting back with Scorsese, mm-hmm. but, you know, you know, if you do a movie like New Year's Eve or The Big Wedding, uh, like you should have to do like three, you know, indie really reunite good with Paul Schrader or something like that. <laughs> I know, and that's the problem is that they're only in these bad movies. But yeah. you know, it's like Frances McDormand is in one of the Transformers films, but yeah. besides that, she's Tilda Swinton's in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> I know, but it's like you can do that stuff. Like I don't, I'm not. It's not so horrible for, to me that Frances McDormand was in a Transformers film, mm-hmm. but it's like she has to go then do like the th- films that she did do, like yeah. Moonrise Kingdom and Oliver Kittredge, yeah. and did a film, um, uh, the one the guy did, The Great Beauty. Like she works with interesting directors. It's like you don't do, you know, four Transformers films and then you do like one good film in yeah. ten years. Like no, that's what De Niro <laughs> does these days. Well, so, it's something. Yeah, uh, what's his name? Uh... Good God. Jonah Hill is actually really good at doing the one for you, one for me. Well, he'll make a big budget studio movie, then make something like mid nineties. Uh, so, and or Robert Pattinson has been like all of them for me, none of them for you. So him doing a Batman movie is, uh, and actually he was cast in, uh, the next Christopher Nolan movie too. Also. So maybe Robert That's Pattinson movie star is, uh, in our near future. I think he's definitely going to stick with, uh, the small indies as well, but, I'm glad that he's stepping up into bigger budget movies because that was something Ryan Gosling was very hesitant to do for a long time, being a big budget movie. I guess he's you know he started off in the Disney universe, so uh, well I guess it's sort of similar with Robert Pattinson starting off in Twilight, but uh, that's yeah. sort of a but tangent. then Ryan Gosling was <laughs> doing like Half Nelson and yes. Lars and the Real Girl. He he's always done small. Well, movies I'm saying, but he didn't throughout. do a big movie for a long time after, uh, like right. Remember the Titans and. Robert Pattinson seems to be dipping his toes in uh, big budget movies a little earlier than Ryan Gosling did. And I'm and excited Christian to see Stewart it. is another one that has like an amazing track record. There was like one 12-month period where yeah. she was in a film by Woody Allen, Ang Lee, Olivia Asasis, and Kelly Rydark. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. And now she's yes. going to be in uh, the Charlie's Angels movie. 
<laughs> yeah, but yeah, but I'm I'm okay with them doing stuff like that yeah. if then they go do three indie movies yeah, that exactly. they won't get much money for. Yeah. <laughs> Another bit of casting is Sam Rockwell is going to be in Clint Eastwood's new movie about a bombing at the 1996 Summer Olympics. This is the first Sam Rockwell movie, or sorry, Clint Eastwood movie Sam Rockwell's been in, right? I think so. So I'm not very sure. I mean, good uh, actors dominating the supporting actor category. And, uh, well, not like Marshall Ali is, but he's very much thereabouts with him and recent Oscars. So good to see him teaming up with Clint Eastwood, who's like, is he's at least 90, right? How old is he? He turned 89 last month. Yeah, that's insane. He's still <laughs> like got the energy to direct movies. In a, he had two come good, out. interesting actors uh, last, in them. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. The Mule, which I actually liked. Yeah, some people lot. seemed to hate it. I thought it was a real return to form for him, but some people were like, "Obviously, you should have retired ten years ago." And I was like, it wasn't that bad. I mean, he's done like ten films in a row based on a true story. It is a little, yeah. There's very much uh, uh, an auteur like, sort of. <laughs> I'm gonna do the it, same sort of thing every time. It's like flags of our father. Well, our flags of our fathers and letters from Iwo Jima actually based on real stories or just the historical event? No, they're like, based on real stories. At okay, least Flags so those Fathers films, very much is. I don't know about Letters from yeah. Iwo But Changeling, American Sniper, Jersey Boys, J. Edgar. Yeah. Uh, Everyone since Million Dollar Baby, yeah. pretty much, right? Except Gran um, Torino, I guess, is fictional. Yeah. And Invictus, you know, yeah. he's almost, And he did one called Hereafter, but, you know, he's done almost, you know, very heavy, like four out of, you know, four out of five, his last 20 films are... Uh, yeah, based like on him, Peter Berg and J.C. Chander are dominating the recent history. <laughs> and Paul Greengrass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um, yeah, and it has the actor who is in I, Tanya. He He's the lead in the film, isn't he? The guy, uh, the lead in the movie is uh, the fella who played the toothless KKK member in Black Klansman. Uh, yeah, and he was in I, Tanya too, right? Okay. I think he might have been. I didn't actually see I, Tanya. And uh, Kathy Bates is going to be in the movie too. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's still attracting, yeah. you know, talent even at 89 years old. It's Clint Eastwood's name has a lot of gravitas around it. I'd like and to like, see him have one that gets a good reception because I like the mule, but more people should have seen it. Sully got good reviews, and that's another yeah. one based on a true story. Yeah, so uh, he's going to do whatever he wants to do. I mean, I would love the idea. I mean, I still fantasize him doing a star is born with bradley cooper and beyonce i want to see that so bad (laughs) it's like they keep remaking it they might as well just do it with bradley cooper again and yeah just remix it like just tweak it a little bit (laughs) yeah just do do like every two years with uh, different lead actors (laughs) just do like christopher Plummer and all the money in the world just digitally put in beyonce (laughs) yeah everything else is the exact same (laughs) right but um yeah the what other movie news should we mention another uh geriatric uh auteur is uh announced a movie recently terrence Malick. <laughs> oh yeah well, i don't he's oh well, yeah he's over he's like 76 or something 75 uh-huh. but um yeah he has a new film that you know he just had a hidden life premiere in may at the Cannes film festival and he already has another film that's supposedly based on the life of christ and will be parables based on t- jesus's teaching and he's shooting it in rome He's turning into Woody Allen after 20 years without making a movie. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. And, uh, you know, who knows when it will come out because The Hidden Life was done for like two years, uh, you know, shooting and he kept re editing it and change, you know. That's always the thing with his movies. 
Like I think yeah, two of the actors died since the in life before it premiered. <laughs> well, I remember Tree of Life was announced like a good six years before it came out, and it's just like, when is this thing actually going to come out? Yeah, and the ba- like some of the ideas of the Tree of Life were like something he had been working on, thinking of at least mm-hmm. since like the seventies. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he takes forever. But I, I, I'm like, you know, let Malik be Malik. You know, <laughs> yeah, Malik, exactly. <laughs> Malik's gonna don't Malik, judge him by yeah. the standards you judge other people. Right. And um, yeah, so it, I mean, for a long time on IMDb, it's listed that he's going to do a Jerry Lee Lewis biopic. Oh, so, yeah, I mean, who I would knows? love for him to do just a totally straightforward narrative, <laughs> like a very traditional music biopic. Well, d- what he should do is direct a movie he didn't write. That would be interesting. No, that would be interesting. Yeah. There's an interview, uh, one of those roundtable discussions where Christopher Plummer said, I'll never work with him again after the new world because mm-hmm. one of his best scenes, this great dialogue speech, is like barely audible in the background. And Malik is like following a butterfly through a field. <laughs> and he said that Malik is a brilliant director and visual eye, but he desperately needs another screenwriter. He well, said. I could take and someone like, like Christopher Plummer taking that as a very big insult. That the camera yeah. wasn't on him and it wasn't included because he's one of those very traditional sort of actorly actors. Well, also, Sean Penn said that he was kind of disappointed with The Tree of Life because he's barely in the film. And he said the script was beautiful and amazing. And uh-huh. I read somewhere that Emmanuel Lebetsky, the cinematographer, said, like, you could make an entire film of Sean Penn's character that was cut out of the movie. And so there's, there are probably much more linear narrative versions of a lot of Malick's films, maybe not as recent three, the, you know, (laughs) song, the song ones, but all of his other ones, there are versions of them on the cutting room floor or in script form that are more straightforward. I think. Oh yeah. I mean, no doubt about that, but I mean, I'm generally very pleased with the version that we ultimately get, and Sean Penn could go screw himself if he wanted to see more of himself in the Tree of Life. Give me a break. It's like the best movie of the century. <laughs> yeah, that and Mad Max Fury Road. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, uh, so any other um, movie news? Uh, well, I wanted to mention Sylvia Miles passed away at 94. She's a two-time Academy Award nominee for Best Supporting Actress. She was uh, nominated for Midnight Cowboy and Farewell, My Lovely, I think, hmm. as the two. And, uh, yeah, she hadn't been in a movie in a long time, but uh, she was one of those people that showed up at, like, every premiere in New York City, and she was just one of those kind of old school from the 60s and 70s that, like, everyone knew. And hmm. you'd go to a premiere or a party, and, oh, there's Sylvia Miles. She's 94. <laughs> She's still, yeah, but she passed away. You know, it's getting to the point where, there's not that many people left from that era. You oh, know, yeah. Ones that, you know, you got Sidney Poitier, Kirk Olivia Douglas, de Havilland. Yeah. <laughs> She's never Doris die. Day passed away. <laughs> yeah. Doris Day passed away a few weeks ago. But yeah, so uh, w- the two movies we're going to review uh, today are Rocket Man and The Souvenir. And we're going to start with the one that came out a few uh, weeks before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rocket Man, it premiered at Cannes. Uh, so, uh, talk a little bit about the setup for this Elton John musical biopic. Yes, Rocket Man, an extravagant and expressive musical about the life of Elton John. Uh, directed by Dexter Fletcher, who did Eddie the Eagle, Sunshine on Life, and did uncredited work on Bohemian Rhapsody last year. Starring Taron Egerton, Jamie Bell, 
Bryce Dallas Howard and Richard Madden from Game of Thrones fame. Uh, came out in the U.S. on May 31st. A Metacritic score of 70, a Rotten Tomatoes score of 90. Uh, generally, I thought it was a good music biopic, which is sort of a worn genre at this point. I feel like since Walk the Line and Ray, the genre has almost been like a joke, uh, which was a little surprising to me why Bohemian Rhapsody was taken so seriously last year, because it seems like for a long time music biopics were very much retreaded sort of stuff. But Rocket Man uh, is the most musical-like musical biopic I've ever seen. A musical in the very truest sense of the word, where when the emotions become too powerful for simple dialogue to contain, the characters break out in song. And that's how, you know, musicals were done <laughs> for a very long time until the sort of backstage musicals like Chicago's and stuff, and, uh, you know, became a little bit more popular. But... And in a lot of ways, it felt like a Broadway musical because of that. Uh, it's not something I was used to seeing in a music biopic. But that being said, it was a very original movie, and it was it lived up to my expectations. I had sort of you know medium expectations for it. I didn't expect it to blow me away, but I was entertained by it. It was a good two hours, and uh, I learned a little bit about Elton John that I didn't know before, uh, which is more than I can say about Bohemian Rhapsody, which came out last year, <laughs> and Queen. Uh, what were your thoughts about this? Well, I'm a bad gay because I know virtually nothing about Elton John, and I honestly don't know if I could even name one of his songs really? going into the film. Like, I just know nothing about him. It's just a, you know, I was area. Pretty, I mean, I'm pretty familiar with his his music. I'm a fan of Elton John, so I knew basically all the songs in the movie. Well, I mean, what right. was it like not knowing any Elton John songs? Did you enjoy the songs? Well, I didn't know which ones were <laughs> created for the film and which ones were I don't know if any songs. were created for the movie. Well, so it's like Across <laughs> the Universe, that Be- Beatles film where they take all the songs and, you know, they have a character named Jude yes. and they go, hey, Jude. Well, it wasn't but, um, quite like that. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, the movie is very conventional, but it's a very well done one, yes. I think. it's. Well, I think it's much better than Bohemian Rhapsody. The arc was conventional, but... I think some of the, I mean, at least the visuals and some of the the things, like there's a scene where Elton John's playing the piano and all of a sudden he starts levitating and the crowd starts levitating. That's not conventional. I mean, especially well, for a I musical mean, biopic. A lot of the trappings of the film are very much, going back to, you know, you said, you know, Ray and Walk the Line. I mean, you yes. can go back to the Buddy Holly story and yeah. Coal Miner's Daughter. I mean, this genre has been around. I mean, even earlier than that i mean you had like biopics in the 50s of yankee doodle singers. dandy and stuff like that <laughs> yeah well and like the al jolson story and <laughs> yes. uh the glenn miller story but um yeah i think that this what well, the i say never let the truth get in the way of a good film but i did feel like bohemian rhapsody was very surface a bunch of wigs yes. and fake teeth and you and didn't really it get was nothing that much. but positive about the the band queen and this movie, at yeah. least, was not afraid to show Elton John uh, at some of his worst moments. Right. One of the things I liked most about the film is that it's surprisingly dark and yes. it goes into his uh, struggles with his sexuality and his drug addiction and his you know, really unhealthy relationships and his mm-hmm. uh, family dynamics and how his mother and his estranged father you know, interact with him. Like That was really interesting. And a lot of biopics you know, they have sadness and tragedy, but they kind of make it palatable. And I felt Mm -hmm. like this movie, you know, it's very fluffy and extravagant, but there is serious 
a serious look at a lot of the more negative mm-hmm. and harsh aspects of his life, which I, oh, I yeah. admire. It's suicide attempts. Uh, I mean, checking into rehab. The sort of framing device is him telling his life story while he's in rehab, which I was. I'm not ever really the biggest fan of the framing device where someone sits and tells everyone what happened to their life. I think that's a, a little bit of a tired trope. Um, but, I mean, what did you think of Taron Edgerton in the lead role? He's a guy who I've liked as an actor for a long time, but has been stuck in very sort of uh, cookie-cutter projects, like the Robin Hood movie that came out last year with Jamie Foxx, and uh, the Kingsman franchise, which I actually think is pretty good, but is very much a standard franchise movie. What did you think of, uh, of Taron Edgerton? Well, I glanced through his IMDb before we started recording, and I've never actually seen him in any movies except uh, Testament of Youth, which I didn't even oh. remember him being in. It starred Kit Harrington. Yeah. I remembered that. <laughs> and um, the, I think oh, he what's plays the woman? Uh, Alicia Vikander's brother in right. Testament of Youth. Um, that's a good film, but uh, I didn't even remember he was in it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there were scenes in this movie where – I actually thought there was recreated footage of mm-hmm. Belton John. I was like, oh, wait, no, that's actually him. Like, oh, yeah. parts where he's playing the piano. I was like, I they thought got this was the hairline absolutely perfect. Right. I mean, I think that the problem, you know, it's like, I don't think that, I definitely don't think Rami Malek should have won Best Actor earlier this year. And it's not a bad performance. It's just that the script and the direction so lets him down that he's not really able to do that much. Mm-hmm. And I think that this film, Rocket Man, it gives uh, Edgerton a lot more to do and That's his character is more developed and you get to know him better as yes. a person. There's more nuance Aside to it. Aside from the fact that he's got a really good voice and he's gay. <laughs> That's pretty yeah. much all we and, got about Freddie Mercury in Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody. And I don't really understand, you know, like, I don't think that this film, I'm glad that it's more gay and has more drugs than... Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really not that gay. Like you don't. No, I mean, it isn't. It's like, like I had heard that there was cuts. a scene cut uh, for Russia that involved a gay orgy, and if it's the scene that I'm thinking of, it was not really a gay orgy. I mean, it, that's what it was suggesting, but it was not exactly explicit about it. No, I mean it's like this the quote unquote sex scene. It's like you see him making out, and like you see him roll around in the bed a little bit. But like now, I want to say this. The best biopic about a gay musician in recent years is Behind the Candelabra. And you see Michael Douglas butt-fucking Matt Damon, like, full-on, like, fucking him in the ass. And, I like, like I give major props to Steven Soderbergh and Michael Douglas and, and Matt, Matt Damon. Damon. <laughs> I know. I mean, he's being a power bottom. I mean, I it's like, I don't know, you know, like, I... And, but the problem is they they had to go to HBO to do that. Like no studio would release that movie. And it's crazy. Apparently, Oscar winning. Uh, they blocked Michael Douglas winning Best Actor at Cannes because it was an HBO movie. That's something well, that's that came Spielberg. out recently. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think that the best music biopics in recent behind the candelabra is. Have you ever seen it? I've. <laughs> that was a movie that was too gay for me. <laughs> uh, well. I, I, but you got to admit, Michael Douglas is great, isn't Oh, like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Matt Damon, I was a little – I couldn't stand his character. That was, that was the thing that was a little too much for me. He was Matt Damon. <laughs> well, I admire the I – mean, it's like – well, it's a Liberace biopic. Well, it, yeah, it has to obviously be it was going to be. But it was. I was watching it. I was like, yeah, this isn't in my taste. <laughs> uh, but I think that 
like Bohemian Rhapsody is like two out of five stars. Rocket Man is like three and a half. Yeah. And then Behind the Camera is five out of five to me. It's like one of Soderbergh's <laughs> best films. And uh, it's one of Michael Douglas's best performances. But yeah, the, you know, Rocket Man is a, a good combination of standard biopic uh, with, you know, new flourishes and that it, and it goes into some of the darkness in a way that like I saw a Facebook friend criticizing the movie saying he liked Bohemian Rhapsody more because it was more entertaining and that he found Rocket Man like downbeat and depressing, even though it's a lively, extravagant musical. But I admired that it was dark. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was much more entertaining. I mean, I was so distracted by just how jumbled Bohemian Rhapsody was that. It was entertaining from a perspective that I was like, this is a train wreck. Uh, it's shocking to me that people actually think that's a good movie. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah, something I'll like never a- get over. And it's something, uh, do you think Rocketman benefits or it's hurt by being released so quickly after Bohemian Rhapsody? Well, I think it just makes, it. it's better in comparison. It's, you yes. know, the director took over and finished Bohemian Rhapsody and he filmed all of rocket man and this you know elton john you know i give props to elton john because he was like you know i want you to do a warts and all film Mm -hmm. and like the you know the band queen were like we want to make you know a nice version one of my favorite Uh, things about the queen biopic is the the guitarist brian may's phd in physics is mentioned at least three times uh (laughs) yeah yeah, I mean, we we I think you know we definitely would have wanted to see the Sasha Baron Cohen yes. version with a bunch of gay sex and drugs. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, I think the only I, downside to be it being released so quickly after is it almost seems like an afterthought since Bohemian Rhapsody was so successful that it's like oh another music biopic. And yeah, well, it's I think be like the, if Bohemian Rhapsody hadn't come out, Rocket Man would have opened to a little bit more fanfare. And I think Elton John's a bigger, more influential musician than Queen was, so. I oh, I disagree. Little... I think Rocket really? Man would not do as well if Bohemian Rhapsody didn't really? come out. Yeah, I think people would have been like, this gay film with Elton John. Mm. <laughs> you think Bohemian uh, Rhapsody sort of opened the way for Rocket Man? It set the table yeah, for it? it? To me, it's like the live-action Disney films. It's like we're going to have a bunch of, you know, we're going to, like a Madonna film is supposedly going to be made. And, a, you know, there's going to be a bunch of these coming out. Hmm. It's just, and the music biopic's nothing new, but it just seems like... You know, you you can't mention Rocket Man without mentioning in the review Bohemian Rhapsody. No, you really like it's can. in its it's in its shadow, but it's Rocket Man's the better film. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean that's the that's a real benefit of coming out close to it is that by comparison just seems so much better and makes the success of Bohemian Rhapsody that much more confusing. Uh, yeah, they're very <laughs> similar films in many, they many ways. They similar beats also with the... Right. But that's part of the formula of the musical biopic is they have the very similar arc with the, the rise, the fall, and the comeback. It's very much like a comedy in that it has, you know, a very predictable arc. Uh, uh, can you think of any other music biopic that's actually a musical besides Rocket Man? Because Ray and Walk the Line and Coal Miner's Daughter. Yeah. Yeah, that, those are all dramas are not, with music in them. Um, right. And even, yeah, I mean, I, I'm. I don't know. Blues Brothers is not a biopic. That is a musical. No. no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's also like, I, have you ever seen that film Across the Universe? Yes. But yes. that's not a biopic. It's no. a musical, but it's not a biopic. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm sure there mm-hmm. are ones, uh, but uh, I'm trying to think of music. No, there biopics. really aren't, which is why I think I give it a lot of credit for being pretty original. 
and I right. uh, think that we will see an Elton John Broadway musical based on Rocket Man in the next ten years. Uh, well, that's the other thing. The movie. I, I don't think I've actually seen any of these, but you hear of all these Broadway shows, like the Tony Jersey just happened. Boys. There was one share. Yeah, it's, it's like that. Kind in a of film. a musical, but no, yeah, it is. Yeah, that's song, a, that's that's one. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Jersey Boys. That's a musical and it's a biopic. But that was adapted from a musical. It's a little bit different. Yeah, but it's still a bio music biopic. Yes. That's also a musical. yeah. So that's that's yeah. We came up with one. That's good. But and Rocket that's not Man a is not film. based on previous uh, material, so yeah. I gave it a little edge on that one. Did you see Jersey Boys? I did. It was. Uh, yeah, it's not good. It was well it was shot. Like, it was very well it was shot. Like, it was like uh, it was embalmed in nostalgia. I thought. Oh, yes, yes. There was a sheen yeah. to everything, which made it seem like the fifties was, you know, like the Garden of Eden, uh, or the yeah. early sixties. But dang, it was okay. Yeah. Rocket Man but, was better. But uh, to right. move on to another tale of addiction, uh, to have our addiction double feature. <laughs> addiction to a toxic relationship the movie is the souvenir it is about a film student developing a relationship with a mysterious older man in early 1980s london directed by jo- joanna hogg who did uh, unrelated her debut in 2008 and exhibition was her last movie in 2013 it stars honor swinton burn uh the daughter of tilda swinton who is also in the movie appearing as her mother which is a nice bit of uh, real-life reflecting art. And then Tom Burke as uh, the lead character's love interest. It premiered January 27th at the Sundance Film Festival and was released in the U.S. on May 17th. A Metacritic score of 92 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 90. Obviously a big favorite with the critics. Uh, this was a movie where as soon as it ended, everyone in the audience looked at each other and said, That was sad. <laughs> Well, I um, this is a movie that it's right about two hours long, and for about a good hour of the film, I was like, I don't know, if this is like this has a ninety-two on Metacritic. It's yeah. very slow and distancing. It's austere, and I just felt very detached from it. Mm-hmm. But it really snuck up and gutted me at the end. I mean, I I kind of staggered out of the theater a little bit. It's a very quiet, slow film that you have to lean into and mm-hmm. you have to kind of get on the film you have to be open to where pace. it takes you because the, right. the plot of it uh was very unrelated se- seemingly unrelated sequences of events which seemed sometimes at random and sometimes after a scene i was like what purpose did that scene serve <laughs> and it didn't really serve any except to sort of be a part of the world that we were inhabiting it was very much that kind of movie and like a character will mutter something in a thick accent. You're like, wait, is that like a major plot point that like, what, what just happened? Like, yeah. is this, per- the person's a drug addict? What, who, what? <laughs> and um, yeah. And I, I think, you know, uh, Thomas Winton's daughter, uh, yes. Rose, she's never been in a film. She's incredible in the film. Yes. Uh, and it's very autobiographical because Joanna Hogg was a film student in the early eighties. They replicated her apartment to look really? exactly the way it did. And, oh uh, it's shot in a warehouse. I and thought that the, it was a very nice apartment for such a young person. Very well organized, and she had very nice eye for interior decoration. So that's amazing the, that that was actually and hers. and and the and the background was actual footage that Joanna Hogg shot back at that time, projected on film 
in the studio when they were shooting. Really? So that was really cool. And um, it's based on a real relationship she had. And she was friends with Tilda Swinton at the time. Mm -hmm. And Tilda Swinton was like witnessing all of this. And Tilda Swinton starred. It was a guy who worked at the foreign office and was very mysterious about the, the nature of his work. Well, I know I don't know exactly who if she has a character that's in the film. I mean, it's it would be kind of odd to have someone named Tilda Swinton in the film. <laughs> Tilda Swinton. Uh, but I could think it was the, her actor uh, friend who appears in the movie that might be it, the the avatar. Yeah, role. but um, this is like a prime example of a film you got to give it time. Like this yes. is a movie like you should see in a theater because you'd be really tempted on Netflix to maybe pause it and come back or to stop it or watching like, entirely. Yeah, yeah. Because I honestly I wasn't particularly liking it for like half of the movie. I was admiring it, mm-hmm. but then it just. I mean, I wrote on Facebook that I have no guts. This movie gutted me. I am without guts. It just like kind of that. La- I mean, you know, since you mentioned, uh, I mean, we can give away. Can we talk about all of it? Yes, I Do think. We wanna, okay. I think we should. Yeah. <laughs> so go see this movie. But. Uh, I read the. She's kind of like Mike Lee. She improvises a lot of her films. Like there's not a script. I could see that because um, a lot of the reactions uh, seemed somewhat genuine. Uh, yeah, like but, when her boyfriend would say something, you know, particularly strange. And she's well, like, yeah. the the real li- one of the real lines, like she said that a lot of it's improvised, but there were certain lines and parts of it that were real that were based from on her life. Her- yeah, like the part that the the line that just kills you, the two words is she comes down, her mother comes down the stairs and says the worst. Oh yeah, and that just, oh my god, that just destroyed me. I mean that because like it's just, like it's just so brutal and blunt, you know, the worst. But well, um, like how you're talking yeah. about it's it's slow build. Uh, like you said, it's a little hard to get into, but after like after the first half hour, like every ten minutes, it feels like it gets more momentum and turns into something bigger. And by like an hour and a half, you're like, oh my god, this is like the most important movie I've seen this year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, I mean, really good central lead performances. You've mentioned Honor Swinton a lot, uh, Tilda Swinton's daughter, which is this her, her debut? I, I haven't seen her in anything else. The um, only thing she had been in besides this is playing uh, uh, Tilda Swinton's uh, daughter in I Am Love, the Luca Guadagnino okay. film that came out. Years ago, but this is her first like real performance. Okay, but opposite her, Tom Burke, uh, who plays her boyfriend, I thought it was like an absolute re- uh, revelation. I'd seen him in a few things. The thing I uh, recognized him most from was the A and B adaptation of War and Peace, which I might have been one of a thousand people in America who watched every second of. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he played Dolokhov, who's a sort of like uh, roguish, uh, somewhat criminal but charming sort of like uh, you know militaristic Russian figure. So this was a very different side of him. He's like very soft-spoken and very posh sort of like Oxbridge uh, private educated English person with this real sort of veneer of respectability, uh, but with some real seediness underneath, which you really don't, you almost can't believe it when like you see the character and how he's acting. It's like he's putting on a facade this whole time, which absolutely brings, you know, uh, Burn, or, I don't know what to refer to as because Swinton, I just feel like it's Tilda Swinton. Burn, I guess. Burn's character. Um, Swinton Jr. Swinton Jr., exactly. I mean, you really buy her falling in love with this guy because he's just like such a charming. It's like, 
like a James Bond almost who you'd actually meet. Like, not obviously so heightened as to be unbelievable, but, like, he works in the foreign office in a mysterious job doing something anti-terrorism, and he just seems like he's, like, you know, the, like, uh, most polite and put-together British person you could possibly imagine. And as the film sort of progresses, he reveals parts of himself that are uh, a little more... Uh, dark than you would suspect on his initial sort of appearance but he was an absolutely incredible performance like what were you familiar with Tom Burke from before you saw this movie I have only seen uh, Only God Forgives the Nicholas yes, Winding which Ruffin which he's barely film. in right yeah I don't re- it's like I didn't remember Taylor uh, you know being in Testament of Youth I didn't remember him being in this film as some <laughs> of those actors they have like major breakthrough roles and you look back and they're like oh they were in this Clint Eastwood film they yeah. were in you know they were in this British period piece film <laughs> they were in Anna Karenina from 20 to, you know but they were the uh, 20th yeah. lead in Pride and Prejudice <laughs> I know. It's like the thing I always tell people with British films, it's like, oh, it's that actor from Harry Potter. It's, yeah, it's the guy who much, played yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. It's like every time I talk about a Mike Lee film, it's like, oh, it's the guy who played this guy and that guy. Like, who's the werewolf one? Who's the, you know. Yeah, she uh, was yeah, the, I, the mean principal in uh, The Half Blood Prince. <laughs> yeah. But um, I really like the way the souvenir. It's like I've been listening to an interview with uh, Rose and Tilda and Joanna Hogg, and they were saying that. It's a very interesting combination of improvisation and not having a real, you know, sturdy script, but it's like immaculately shot and like mm-hmm. very, very precise. Like the cinematography and the editing yes. and the look of the film is it, like and very, it knows exactly what it's doing. Joanna right. Hogg has a very firm grasp over like what she wants to get across and how she wants to present it to the audience. And I hadn't seen any other movies. Um, so, like, since this has come out, people are saying, like, Joanna Hogg, what a big presence in the movie world. And I'm like, I have never seen anything she's done besides this, but I was very much blown away by it. Um, I, it reminded me of a movie that came out a couple years ago, Call Me By Your Name, and its sort of tone and its look. Did you get that? Uh, I... W- the thing with Call Me By Your Name is that's such like an aching look at love. Mm-hmm. but And this is kind of an aching look at love too, but this movie is so sad. And like yes. Call Me By Your Name is more like a little bit more... It's more uh, hopeful. and uh, But they're both yeah. about self-discovery and take place in the early 1980s. And I think yeah. the way they were shot very much reminded me of it. Uh, I mean, it's not like they're companion pieces or anything like that, but yeah. I loved Call Me By Your Name. And this had... It gave me a similar sort of feeling while I was watching it. Well, it's interesting you say companion piece because there's going to be the souvenir part two. Yeah. She has she conceived of the film in two parts. She's going to continue her autobiographical look at her own life. Mm-hmm. And um, Robert yeah, Pattinson so. was attached to that movie, but he had to drop out recently. That's some of the news uh, from the last week or so. Right. Probably Batman. Well, this is the first victim of uh, him being cast in Batman. <laughs> Yeah, but um, yeah, it's interesting because uh, the film is the highest rated of uh, anything released in the U.S. so far this year. But it's funny though; I was looking on um, IMD. Well, I mean, on um, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, mm-hmm. and the audience score is like thirty six. Oh, like, I audience, could imagine. Like from it's what I was of... hearing, the chatter as soon as the movie ended, it did not seem like the majority of the audience reacted to this the movie the same way that I did. Yeah, 30, <laughs> 30, it has audience score thirty three percent as opposed to ninety percent. Mm-hmm. But it's funny that um, yeah, it's the type of movie you could picture like 
old people going to the theater and going like, why did this get such a good review in the New York Times? You know, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. He said he loved it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's funny, too. Like, I saw the movie Cosmopolis in the theater, the uh, David Cronenberg film, which is very, um, you know, precise dialogue. A lot of it's taken of straight from the book. And there was this old couple in the theater, and the guy said throughout the movie things like, all they're doing is talking, and I can't understand anything they're saying. And he's like, do we have to stay through this? You know, it's it's. Yeah, it's like, there, have you ever had the experience where like older people are in the theater? And like, I, I had a friend who saw The Lobster and all these old women came out afterwards and like, what did we just watch? And he had tried to explain to them like, oh, well, these are what the themes were, I think, and the meaning of the film. Funnily enough, that happened after Scott Pilgrim versus the world. That was a very confusing movie to some people. <laughs> I don't like that movie at all. Really? I'm a fan of yeah, it. Yeah, I don't like... Well, I don't have any interest or knowledge of video games or arcade games, so it was kind of like, yeah. But that's a, oh, anyway. But that is a tangent. <laughs> I, I was listening to a podcast recently where a guy said that he saw Antichrist, and like almost everyone else in the theater was like forty years older than him, mm-hmm. and he said there was this guy that anytime something super graphic or disturbing <laughs> happened, he went, "Oh Jesus! Oh Christ!" <laughs> That's a movie but, where someone who just p- buys a ticket and watches a movie because they're retired and don't have much to do. That's a nightmare situation for that person. Yeah. I mean, I think I mentioned before, I went to see uh, Uncle Boon Me, Who Can Recall His Past Lives, which is a pitch upon where the Seth- winner, right? Yeah. Tim Burton was the head of the jury that year. And I went to see it in Atlanta. And like 10 minutes into the movie, it had been on for about 10 minutes. This uh, guy came into the audience, sat down. And a scene came up where um, the dead son came back as a big furry ghost monkey with red glowing eyes. And the guy got up and he walked out of the theater and didn't come back in. It was just like. (laughs) That was the straw that broke the camel's back. I could take the weirdness up until this with this red eyed monster. This is too much for me. Yeah. It was really weird. I saw Sweeney Todd in theaters. and like That's a violent movie. Well, two and a half minutes into the movie. They started singing, and this three people went, "This is a musical," and they got up and walked out. I was like, <laughs> "You didn't know I Sweeney Todd." That to go. A lot of people know, were like, "This is disgusting. <laughs> this is a musical." Well, I, sh- I did show the uh, Sweeney Todd film to my grandmother in her late 80s, and she sat through the whole movie. In my mind, I was like, "Well, she can take one throat slitting. She can take 15." <laughs> and she sat through the whole film, and afterwards, she said, "That wasn't a musical." And I went, "What are you talking about?" There's like. 75% of the film is singing and she's in her mind, you know, when you have making people into pies and slitting throats, yes. like it's not seven brides for seven it's brothers. Not Hello Dolly. No. So in her mind, it couldn't compute. But anyway, but yeah, it's not a, the souvenir is a film. You got to give yourself over, get on its wavelength, got it with its pace. You got to, you know, give it time. Mm-hmm. And I think it really works if, if you, you have to go with it though. Yes, it's slow to get into, but once it's really started to gain momentum, there are a few movies I've seen that are as gripping as this one is. And, like, it's not a movie with, like, tons of action or anything like that where, like, tons of stuff happens, but it had to be as gripped as, you know, like, you know, the tensest thriller you could possibly imagine because I was so invested in what was going to happen in the characters. Like, on IMDb, it actually has mystery as one of the genres listed. Really? <laughs> which, yeah. But uh, I was going to ask you, have you ever seen a movie where for, like, half of it, you weren't really sure you were even liking it, and you found it very distancing, or you had some problem with it, but by the end of the movie, or even maybe after thinking about it, 
it really hits you and you end up liking the film as a whole. Yeah, there are definitely some. I think of Contempt, the Jean-Luc Godard movie, um, which is similar to this in some ways about a you know relationship that uh, is not necessarily healthy for both people. Uh, there are probably I have some one. other ones. <laughs> There, there's a Werner Herzog has made some weird movies, yes. but have you ever heard of one he did in the early '70s called Fata Morgana? I have not. Okay, it's the word mirage. I think is what the translation is, but it's like 75 minutes long, and I can't even describe it hardly. It's almost like he went to Africa and just filmed random footage. And, like, made a fake documentary about, like, what if all these landscapes in Africa was, like, we landed on a foreign planet. And he adds this narration to it that makes it seem like it's another planet. And it's, like, Leonard Cohen music's in it. Mm -hmm. I see the Blind Faith contributed music. It's a very weird enigmatic film and it's only like 75 minutes. And I, like, over, like, 50 minutes into the movie, I kind of just gave over and gone, like, this movie's nuts, but I kind of admire it. Like, it's very, <laughs> like, I just, there's some movies where I just go like, ah. but The Souvenir is one where before it was over, it really came around and, and not even so much came around. It's just like, I, I met up with the movie. Yes. If you know what I'm saying? Yes. I, yeah, yeah, definitely. I I was probably a little more into it at the beginning than you were just cause, uh, I'm a real sucker for anything that's said in England. Uh, so really, all they have to be doing is to be talking in English accents, and it'll really end. Even though this is a, you know, a British period piece, oh, you know, it's, don't it's not like it's, it's super stuffy or anything like no, that. No, it's, it's not don't Jane expect, Eyre or, no, uh, or James <laughs> Heights. Yeah, exactly. And um, I would say uh, there's also some interesting things to think about with film, since she's a film student and it's like very self-referential. Um, right. And she's questioning like what she wants to do with her art and like what how she wants people to take her art and like what how what she wants to represent and in the what world. The, and it's... Uh, you know the subject matter of her films is going to be, which is funny because there's a scene in the movie she's she uh, her like thesis project for her film school is a movie about this boy who's obsessed and loves his mother in the, like the docks of Sunderland, which is uh, like a very poor sort of shipping city, and she comes from a background of wealth and privilege. And uh, when she's describing the movie to, I guess, the staff at the film school, they ask her, like, why would you want to make a movie that's so different than your own personal experience? So it's funny that that's a question asked to the main character, and then Joanna Hogg makes a movie that's almost literally about her own personal experience. So it's just sort of meta-text. It's, got, it's an interesting movie on a lot of levels, and it has a very uh, gripping plot that, and a lot of the movies I like, the plot's not necessarily even the thing that I like most about it. But more so than most movies I see, the story of The Souvenir got me caught up in it and invested in the characters in a way that I'm not usually invested in characters in movies. Because I'm usually watching them from a sort of dis- detached, detached in a sort of critical viewpoint. But The Souvenir, watching it, I got very caught up in uh, just the lives of the main characters, which was a real achievement, I thought. Yeah, well, I would say it's very much not gripping for a long time, yes. <laughs> and then it sneaks up on you. Like, yeah. it's very much like these very static shots. You know, you're just looking straight on at the characters, and mm-hmm. and you you got to listen because they're heavy accents, and sometimes you're like, ooh, and you're like, wait, what did they just say? Like, and you got to really 
you know, lean into this movie. But so go in fully rested, ready for a two hour slow. Yeah. It also kind of reminds me in a way of uh, have you ever seen any films by Andrea Arnold? She did Fish Tank. Yes, I've and seen Red Fish Road. Tank. I haven't seen yeah. anything else she's done. It is sort yeah, of similar. I mean, very yeah, not yeah. Kinda, just an sorta. insight into a life of a person in a way that's very intimate. That's sort of similar, it, and just and very British. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, but um, so uh, Rocket Man's playing everywhere. Souvenirs open, you know, and number it, your art house theater is probably showing yes, it. Or, yes, so it's sort uh, of the hot see. art house movie of the moment, and Rocket Man right. is is playing everywhere. It should not be difficult to find a, a viewing of Rocket Man. Both good movies, Rocket Man, better than average. The Souvenir might be number one of the year for me so far. I'll have to, you know, maybe in a few weeks we can do our top five. Or halfway the through half the year. The year. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't want to give away, but Souvenir is up there for me. Uh, and it makes me want to go back. I actually have her first film, uh, mm-hmm. Unrelated, which came out in 20, uh, 2007. So it's been 12 years since her first feature film. Mm-hmm. She worked in TV for a long and time. she's 60 but- years old, yeah. Yeah, um, I highly recommend A24, which released The Souvenir. They have a podcast, and they have an interview. It's her and Martin Scorsese talking for uh, 40-something minutes, and it's really good. So uh, if you haven't listened to that, you should. And she has, she's been uh, on a bunch of interviews uh, in recent months. So uh, I highly recommend The Souvenir. Rocket Man definitely more accessible. Yes. But uh, both drug addict movies in a way. <laughs> Yeah, thank you for listening, and we will be back with you next time.